Hello, folks, and welcome back to the On Being Christian Podcast. My name is Nolan Ruby, and the On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and I'm so glad that you chose to listen today. It's not something that we take lightly. I know that there's a lot of different options, a lot of different things that are vying for attention, and uh, and so I don't take it lightly that you chose to listen to this podcast. That's actually what I want to talk about a little bit. We live in an incredibly information-filled age. We have so much access to so much information. And here's the question I'd like to ask as we start off this podcast. How do you know what's important and what's not important? Now, most of the time, just to be very clear with you, most of the time people define that by the subjective term of what is and is not important to themselves. But if I were to ask you objectively, according to morality, according to requirements that we are all held to, what is and is not important? Let me rephrase it, and this is actually the title of what I'd like to talk to you about today. What does and does not matter? How do you make decisions about what does and does not matter? It certainly can't be by just taking in all the information and deciding simply because of the fact that there's so much information available, there's no possible way for you to take it all in and weigh it. And so there's got to be a different way to do it. There's got to be a more streamlined way to come to a point of making decisions concerning what does and does not matter. Now, as is the case in everything in life, the Bible does have some things to say about this. Colossians 2 is where I'd like to start. I want to look at this concept of what does and does not matter. Colossians 2, if you don't mind, I'm going to start reading in verse 8 and read down through verse 9, and then I'll jump down and read 13 through 15, and that'll be the context of what we're going to look at today. Colossians 2, starting in verse 8, the Bible says, beware. Now, beware is one of those words it gives you a certain picture in your mind. It gives you a certain takeaway. Nobody says, beware of things that aren't dangerous. Nobody says, beware of things that may actually not be uh, potentially harmful to you. So when you see the word beware, you realize you're dealing with a thing or a concept or an idea that you need to be cautious of because it could hurt you. And so it says, beware, Colossians 2.8, beware lest any man spoil you, which is a word that means to have your value removed, to spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, talking about Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now jump down to verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. 
All right, now, the first two verses that we read is going to be where we spend most of our time talking about what does not matter. Or, excuse me, yes, what what does not matter. The second three verses, verse uh, 13, 14, and 15, that's where we're going to find what does matter. And we'll just walk through this at a pace. And uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm glad you, you're here. I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk with you. And we'll get right, it, right, right into it. So let's look at the first thought here. What does not matter? Well, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the first thing that we see is it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Philosophy. So let's define philosophy, because if this doesn't matter, I need to know exactly what it is. The word philosophy is a word which means the love of wisdom. It's a general term denoting an, uh, an explanation or explanations of reasons of things or an investigation into a matter or of the cause of all phenomena. Okay? So this is a very common thing that we as people are driven by, the investigation into figuring out things. Uh, all phenomena, all things, we have entire systems of education that are devoted to nothing more than the continual study and uncovering of objective truth, or, or sometimes even subjective truth. It's, uh, it's phenomena both of the mind or as well as of matter. It denotes the collection of general laws or principles under which all the subordinate phenomena or facts relating to that subject are comprehended. So philosophy, it says, this is the first thing that doesn't matter when dealing with the Lord, the philosophy of men. That's the first thing from this context. The Bible says, listen, you're not going to get very far in dealing with the Lord and in attempting to establish a relationship with the Lord when you're coming at it from the perspective of the philosophy of men, when I'm coming at it from the perspective of trying to figure out all the phenomena, all the reasons, all the uh, subordinate relating comprehensions, all of these things, it's not how you have a relationship with the Lord. Now, folks, I, I actually read quite a lot of philosophy. I find it very interesting I find it very interesting because it tells me more about the way people think than the way God thinks. In fact, one of the problems going back all the way to a school in Alexandria, this is uh, 190 BC or something like that, um, this was the school that dismissed a lot of the received text. These are the texts of the Bible that were handed down through the generations. The school in Alexandria. It, it rejected a lot of them. It got rid of a lot of them because it says that it had found older text. And I don't want to get into bibliology too far here, but one of the things that that school was known for was taking theology as it was received through the generations, uh, the, he, the Hebrew Aramaic text and the Koine Greek text, or what's called the received text, the majority text of the Word of God, and combining it with philosophy and then issuing it forth as its own form of religion. In other words, we're going to take the things that God said by inspired men, and we're going to mix those concepts with study and education, and then whatever is the product of mixing those two things, we're going to issue that forth as a totally new finding. 
And the Bible says you should beware of that. You should be very consciously uh, careful when it comes to the philosophies of men. Remember, having a relationship with God isn't about understanding how men can categorize and compartmentalize God, but, but rather about how God defines himself. And philosophy is the study of how men think, not the study of how God thinks. And it's understanding how God thinks that has any weight or purpose uh, to the eternities, if you will. And so you understand Colossians 2.9, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you. That means this, and it goes on to say through philosophy, that, that idea spoil means there was value there, and now there's not value there. It's, uh, it's the picture of having something inside you removed, but you allowed it to happen because you were ignorant. It's something that you gave away that you would have rather liked to keep, except someone, through some sort of system, convinced you that what they had was more valuable than what you had. If you've ever made a purchase and then regretted it later, this is exactly what I'm talking about. In the store, with all of the bright lights shining on the little trinket that you happen to walk by and see, and it's reflecting all of the things and all of the beauty, you made an impulse purchase in the moment, you got that thing home, whatever that thing may be, and you held it under your lights, and it didn't quite sparkle, it didn't quite gleam. And you realized that you gave something away that you cherished for something that you don't really Want and that can happen in religion. That can happen in truth. If I give my, if I give what I am designed by God to have, a conscience that desires a relationship with God, if I give that over to philosophy, I'm going to come out the other end having a wonderful understanding of how men think, but not having really any concept about how God thinks. And folks, that's not good. No man has ever been able to send another man to heaven or to hell. No man has ever been able to offer forgiveness that lasts forever to another man. Except for one, his name was Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And by the power of God, that's exactly what he did with his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and it's the, called the gospel message. And so if I give myself over to the philosophy of this world, I'm giving myself over to something that gives me a very clear understanding of the wrong thing. I understand man. I understand man's concepts and man's ideologies and man's mindsets. But that doesn't do anything for me eternally. It goes on to say in Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Vain deceit. Now, the word vain deceit is an interesting—the word vain is the picture or the idea of um, like a mirror. Vain is a word for a mirror. If you ever were talking to somebody, and they were having a conversation with you, and they were telling you how much you meant to them, they were telling you how much joy you brought into their life, they were telling you how attractive you were, both physically and mentally, spiritually. They were telling you how much peace you brought into their life. And the entire time that they were telling you this, 
they were looking into a handheld mirror. <laughs> you, you would understand. I mean, they might say that they're talking to you, but they're actually very in love with the idea of themselves. And though they're talking within your earshot, it's them that they're impressed with. It's themselves that they have a very high opinion of. It's themselves that brings themselves joy. That's the picture of vain deceit. It says they'll that this 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 concept of of uh, of how men approach things, this concept of philosophy, and then vain deceit. It will remove your worth. You'll have a great understanding of man, but not one of of God. In fact, there, the Bible has a couple other things to say about this. If you go to Galatians chapter one. I'll just read 11 through 16, and then we'll go back to our text in Colossians. Galatians 1, starting in verse 11, down through verse 16, the Bible says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure... I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And so according to the Bible, according to what Paul was writing in Galatians and also what he's writing in Colossians, as an inspired writer, God's telling us it's not about what men think. And the ones who wrote the Bible are not writing it from the perspective of their own thoughts. It's about what God thinks. And so the philosophy of men, the vain deceit that men most often use to relay messages— is not exactly what you need. In fact, it's exactly the opposite thing that you need. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Folks, what men think doesn't matter. It, it just it doesn't hold any eternal weight. It doesn't hold any divine power. It's just thoughts. It's just opinions, and they don't matter. They're not what will give you a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we go on in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. And so sometimes this is another thing that plays a real heavy role in our lives. Tradition. Tradition. Tradition is a word that means um, the act of delivering into the hands of another that which is handed down from one age to the next with respect to matters of religion, opinions, doctrines, practices, rites, customs, so on and so forth. Traditions can be bad, or they can also be good, but they can't be divine. You understand the difference. Now, I come from kind of two different backgrounds. My father was born and raised in Iowa, and his father, my grandfather, was uh, an implements dealer, and he had a lot of relationships with different farmers and agricultural people, uh, owned a lot of land, 
um, became very successful, both with respect to the relationships that he maintained, as well as the finances that were a result of that. They were a byproduct of that. He was very proper. He was very organized. He was very um, uh, just very traditional and, and, and driven by customs. Um, the word most used to describe my grandfather uh, was the idea of being reliable, his ethical approach to life. It was, without question, uh, very steady. That was my dad's side, all right? My mom's side was not that. Great people, fantastic. I never met my mom's father. He died before I was born, but they say I look and sound a lot like him. He was a Navy man. My, my, my dad's dad was an Army. My mom's mom was the Navy, or my, excuse me, my mom's father was the Navy. He was a 20-year, he was a career Navy man, and then he was a ship inspector, or he worked at the Ingold Shipyard in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And when I went down to see my mom's family, the traditions there revolved a lot around being barefoot in the backyard and cutting up and having a good time. It was kind of like the no shoes, no shirt, who cares, no problem. This is the way we live our life. When I went to see my dad's side of the family, it was very much different. It was very proper. It was very governed. Uh, we had a wonderful time. He taught me a lot of things. He's one of the greatest influences of my life, but you did things a certain way. Now, I'm not saying one tradition's more powerful or more useful than the other. What I'm saying is that whether they were good or whether they were bad, they weren't divine. They didn't give me any closer of a relationship with God the Father than the other one did, because traditions can't give relationships. Relationships with God are a personal choice. And when I hold to family traditions or ethnic traditions over the doctrine of what the Bible says, then I'm choosing what the Bible says, tells me, is a family over God. I'm choosing traditions over divine doctrine, divine value. And the Bible says you, you need to be careful of that. You need to beware of that because it's, uh, it'll get you. It will remove your value. Traditions. This is uh, pretty big in other cultures, not so big in America. Some cultures within America, it's very big. But traditions are a big thing. You know, when someone gets saved and uh, endeavors to live the Christian life, one of the first things that they, in many cases, have to decide is whether or not this is going to be okay with mommy and daddy, uh, especially if mom and dad have money. Because then, you know, sometimes when I choose to live according to the, my clean conscience as the Bible lays out the doctrine of the Word of God and I accept them, it doesn't make everyone in my life totally, completely happy with me. And you'll have to make a decision. Am I making mom and dad happy? Or am I making the Lord happy? Am I making grandpa and grandma happy? Am I making my religion happy? Or am I making God happy? Am I? Is it more important to me to be an American than a Christian? Whoa, that can get personal, can't it? Is it more important to you, if you're a minority, is it more important to you that you are seen in the, the lens of being the minority, whatever that might be, or that you're a Christian? Folks, I'm a United States Marine. I served four and a half years 
in four different combat zones across all parts of our globe. And one of the things that I had to decide a long time ago was that though I am very proud of my Marine Corps service, in fact, you'll never find another person who's more proud of their Marine Corps service than me, it can't be the most important part of my life. I am a proud American. I love this country. I've bled for this country, and I've caused others to bleed for this country. I've held people in my hands that have died for this country. I love her. I'll protect her till the day I die. But being a Christian is the greatest privilege of my life. Honoring my Heavenly Father and living a life in the attempt to walk worthy, which can never happen, but in the attempt of walking worthy for the sacrifice of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. This is the privilege of my life. This is the most important thing to me. And I had to do away with some of the traditions that governed my actions. There were certain things that the Marines that I served with weren't really accepting of me because there was things I couldn't do. And there was things that I, that I had to do that were in keeping with the doctrine of the Word of God. And so you have to beware of philosophy, and you have to beware of those vain deceits, and you have to be aware of traditions. You have to be beware of them, because it's traditions of men don't give me relationship with God. Traditions are as powerful as the, as the source from which they generate from, which is us. That's us. That's people. And people don't send people into eternity for the bad or for the good. That's just not—we're not that powerful. And so our traditions, in keeping or in comparison with the doctrine of the Word of God, folks, they don't matter. They don't hold any weight. There's a verse on this in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 2. Let me just run over there very quickly. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 2 says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye all transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? This was the words of Jesus Christ as he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees who were getting very mad at him. Verse 2 says, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? And Jesus Christ said, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And so Jesus Christ was confronted, and the scribes and Pharisees says, say to him, you're, you're upsetting our traditions. Your disciples are disobeying the tradition of our elders. How dare you? And Jesus Christ's response was, Your traditions are, are, are violating God's law. Who do you think you are? You're going to hold your tradition at a higher level than the commandment of God? Do you really want to stand before God and give answer for that? I don't. I don't. Let's look at the third thing, Colossians 2, or fourth thing, excuse me. So we have, number one, uh, the philosophy of this world. Folks, according to the Bible, it doesn't matter. Vain deceit. According to the Bible, that doesn't matter. Tradition. The traditions of men. According to the Bible... Folks, that doesn't matter. And then the, the fourth thing found in Colossians 2.8, it says, rudiments of the world. And so beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, 
and not after Christ. The rudiments of the world. This is an interesting definition. When you look this up, the word rudiments is a word that means first principles or elements. That which is first learned. Hence, instruction in the rudiments of any art or science constitutes the beginning of education in that art or that particular science. So the rudiments are, are kind of like the genesis, the starting point. Where did this all come from? And the rudiments, the Bible says the rudiments of the world. In other words, what the world says is the beginning is not the beginning. Now, folks, this is a tale as old as time. This argument goes back as far as I can remember. We are teaching today in our schools and higher institutes uh, the theory, because it never has become a science, the theory of evolution. Do you realize, according to this verse, that is what the Bible would describe as a worldly rudiment? In other words, what man decides is the beginning. And if you were to put everything you thought of into the fact that man was nothing more than a happy accident, that would be something that would remove your value. When you get rid of intelligent design, when you decide that man is a, 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 a being free of um, divine design, uh, intelligent design. He's he's an accident. He's a product of 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 uh, science of things just particularly mixing in the right single cell primordial soup. I don't know whatever they're going to say. You understand, folks? If I truly believed that, I would lose value. Let me just speak to you on a personal level. If I truly believed that my life was nothing more than the product of chance, that I was nothing more than the advanced evolutionary product of billions of years or millions of years of happenstance, then that would remove from me any moral ambiguity that I would have towards not doing whatever I want when I want to. You say, well, that's not what it would do for me. No, don't lie to me. Be honest here. Just, folks, be honest with yourself. Morality comes from somewhere. A, a clear conscience comes from somewhere. Morality and the, and the need for the conscience to be clean is inevitably or, or exclusively a product or a theory that, or not a theory, but, a, but a, a, an, an objective reality that exists within humans alone. If we are nothing more than the happy, evolved accident of something that did not have a conscience, then where did that conscience come from? We grew one? And that's just, that's, that's the easiest argument to make. There's a whole bunch of more uh, arguments over this. You understand the theory of evolution is the only scientific theory that goes against science itself. Science says by, by design, everything naturally degrades. Everything goes downhill, except somehow the most complex organism that it's ever existed on the planet. Humans are the only thing that over the span of time have become more complicated and better. Folks, it doesn't make any sense. And if I were to give myself to that rudiment, it would remove from me value. It would remove from my mind, from my conscience, the need 
the, the, the self-realization of, of wanting and desiring to be a good person, it wouldn't be there. And so according to Colossians 2.8, I've got four things that I need to be aware of. Why do I need to be aware of them? Because they don't matter. Number one, the philosophy of this world. When I try to study how men think, I'll figure it out, but that doesn't mean I'll understand how God thinks. Philosophy is—I can't get to the, to the end of God's mind. You understand that God—the Bible talks about the fact that God has existed prior to matter existing. You say, that's impossible. I didn't say I could explain it to you. I'm saying that by faith I've accepted this, and I need you to just listen just for a second here. God— is the self-existent one, Jehovah, the self-existent one. As the self-existent one, we are the created, not the creator. And as the created, as people who operate within a, an, an, a, a definite timeline, do you think that it would be possible for us, through philosophy, to get to the bottom of God's mind, to reach a conclusion, to understand him? I don't think it's possible. That would be like me going out to my driveway and finding one of the hundred different anthills and trying to sit down and explain myself to the ant. I would give him my genealogy. I would give him my opinions. I would give him all the things that I would want for him. He's not, folks, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the only thing that I could do from a benevolent position is to make sure that the ant is okay and to put certain things in his world that would ensure safety. You understand that's exactly who we are to God. He loves us. We don't have it within ourselves to comprehend his existence. And so when we approach him from the, pros from the perspective of thinking that philosophy is going to help us to understand him, it might help us to understand the mind of someone who's trying to understand him, but it won't help us understand him. It just helps us understand people. And so philosophy, coming to God from the perspective of philosophy, will remove your value. Coming to God vainly through, through self-interest, that will remove your value. Coming to God through tradition, traditions are more important than him, that will remove your value. And finally, coming to God from the position of rudiments of the world, from, from the idea that the world existed the way it makes sense to me. I categorize it, I figured it out, I used evolution to get rid of God. I use science to get rid of intelligent design. Folks, that's, gonna, that's going to remove your value. The Bible says that you need to be aware of that. So that's what doesn't matter. Now, let's very briefly talk about what does matter. If you jump down to Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it says, and you. Okay, so now we're gonna, it's going to get personal. This is, this is for you, you and me. You, being dead in your sins and and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. This is what matters, folks. The forgiveness of God is what matters. That's, that's, that's what you and I need. Verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and, look, and, excuse me, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Folks, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that ultimately paid the price for our sin, that's what matters. Acceptance of Jesus Christ payment of sin, that matters. 
Verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And so two things I want to look at from what we just read. We already understand what doesn't matter. The rudiments of the, uh, excuse me, the, the philosophy of the world, the vain deceit, the, the traditions and the rudiments of the world, they don't matter. What does matter? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, folks. What God sent his only begotten son on this earth to do, that matters. Number one, death to sin matters. Death to sin. I'm going to look at a couple of verses here, if you don't mind. Romans chapter 8 and 13 through 14. And I, I didn't write these down, so I'm using kind of uh, my, my Bible here, kind of, uh, and I don't have one of those arms for my microphone. So my microphone's right in front of me, and I'm kind of turning the pages of my Bible off to the left-hand side here. Romans chapter 8. And then if we start in verse 13 and read verse 14, the Bible says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now the flesh is described in Rome in Colossians 2.8. Those are all the things that don't matter. If I choose to live by all the things that don't matter, I die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So what matters? Death to my own sins. What matters? Being led by the Spirit of God. That's what matters. All the things that I would normally think of from the perspective of my human understanding, folks, they don't matter. If you go to back just a little bit to Romans chapter 12, uh, excuse me, 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And this is the story of, uh, of when God's perfect creation became corrupted by the chosen by, by the, the choice of one man, Adam. He says, on that choice, death entered this world. On that choice. And on the choice of Jesus Christ, life was made possible. Life. And so if I choose to live my life by that which has already been declared to be condemned, then I am choosing to, to ultimately end in condemnation. But if I die to myself... If I get rid of those things which don't matter, and I choose to live a life in the grace and mercy of our Father Jesus, our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, then I'm choosing to live according to that which does matter. And that's according to—I'm living according to the grace and mercy of God, made available by His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what matters. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, verse 4 through 5, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, the Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. By grace. Grace matters. Mercy matters. And those things are found in Jesus Christ. Where we use the word death, death here is a word that means total and permanent sensation of vital functions. When the organs, not to get too scientific with you here, but when the organs have not only ceased to act, but have lost the susceptibility of renewed action. In theology, death is perpetual separation from God 
and eternal torments, which he calls the second death. Separation or alienation of the soul from God and being under the dominion of sin. Now you say, why would God? I thought God was love. Why would he send someone to eternal damnation? Well, folks, God is love. He is 100% love, and he is 100% righteous. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants. But if God were to force it, that wouldn't be love. And so he wants you to love him. How do I do that? Well, I have to die to myself. If I approach him from the perspective of wanting him to work with me according to what I understand, that's the wrong way to do it. Folks, there's lots of things in life that you could use as examples to show the value of this, but and, and not to lower the, 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 the meaning of this, but I just want you to show you something. If I was in the Marine Corps, I went to boot camp in July of 2001, all right? 9-11, September 11th, 2001, happened while I was in boot camp, okay? When I went to boot camp, I had an understanding of zero. I had ideas about what kind of guy I was going to be, about what kind of Marine I was going to be. I had a lot of different ideas. I had a lot of different concepts, but none of it mattered. And if I would have been so foolish upon receiving different commands from my drill instructors to inform them that that's not exactly what I came here to do. I actually came here to do something different. You, Some of you just laughed. You would understand that wouldn't work out so well for me because I didn't that, that's not how that works. I am not the one calling the shots. Why do we think that we can approach the throne of grace, the throne of God, calling the shots? As temporary mortal beings, as we approach the immortal throne of God, what weird idea got into our heads that makes us think that we're going to tell God how this works. Folks, that's not how it works. Our opinions don't matter. Being a Christian is about understanding what does matter and what doesn't. And the first thing that doesn't is how we think things should work. And the only thing that does is everything God gave us in His Son, Jesus Christ. At the risk of oversimplifying this, that is exactly what, what matters and what doesn't. The second thing that does matter is the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look at verse 14. It says, He blotted out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. And so all the things that I was guilty of, He blotted out. He got rid of it. Which was contrary to us. He got rid of it. Took it and nailed it to the cross. Verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them. It's the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ that matters. It's the fact that he took the things that I could not beat and nailed them to the cross that matters. It's the fact that he took the payment for sin which I could not pay that matters. It's the fact that through him I can have a relationship with God the Father in heaven forever that matters. Why do I think that I get to define those things? Folks, that's not up to me to define. 
that's up to me to accept. You realize God does not describe himself to us as much as he declares himself to us. And that's, that's a big catching point for people. We want God to come down and give us proof, and then we'll weigh the evidence and decide whether or not it's worthy of our action. <laughs> I love you, but who do we think we are? Really? You're going to weigh God? You're going to judge him? You're going to judge God's intents? You're going to judge God's heart? You're going you're gonna to decide whether or not he's good? Folks, I love you, but wake up. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. That word triumph that we find there in, in Colossians 2.15, it's a word that means a state of being victorious. Uh, it's, a, it's a conquest. It's a joy of exaltation for success. It's to succeed in overcoming. It's to surmount in such a way as to overcome any and all obstacles. That's what Jesus Christ did. He overcame any and all obstacles because he loves you. He overcame any and all obstacles because he wanted you to have a relationship with God the Father. He overcame any and all obstacles so that we would not have to die and be held according to the law which governs us. He did it so that we could be held according to the law of grace and life which he provided. That's what matters. Being a Christian is about understanding what does and does not matter. And what we think matters, folks, just very, very clearly, very plainly stated, often does not matter at all. I want you to show you a verse that comes to mind is Revelation 1 and verse 18. The Bible says, I, this is Jesus Christ talking, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Folks, that matters. He has the keys of hell and death. Why don't you point me toward a philosophy that has the keys of hell and death? Why don't you point me toward a tradition or an understanding of the beginning, the rudiment, that has the keys of hell and death? It's not there, folks. It's not there. You can, you, can, you can worship however you so see fit. You can do however you want to do this. But the reality, the reality is there's some things that matter and there's some things that don't. We live in a world that argues with this near continuously. We argue with every objective truth that there is. We've created, I don't even know how many ridiculous concepts of existence related to gender, related to objective opinions of ourself, and they they don't matter. They don't matter. Their philosophies, their rudiments, their traditions, objective opinion is always more important than subjective opinion. And most everything that you and I are taught by our society is to value subjective opinion far higher than objective. In other words, live your truth. Be true to yourself. Well, folks, that's the quickest way to totally 
being rejected, or excuse me, that's the quickest way to rejection of God. If, the Bible says if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. What does that mean? It means if I choose to live according to what I want, I want this, I want that, I believe this, I believe that, who are you, preacher, who are you, Nolan, to tell me any different? Folks, I'm nobody. I'm nobody to tell you any different. I'm the same as you. I'm just a sinner in need of salvation. And I was 15 when the Lord saved me. How old were you? When did you get to the end of self and accept Christ? You say, I could take you to that day. Amen. Fantastic. I'd love to hear about it. But let me ask you another question. Are you living according to the doctrine of the Bible? Is Christian nothing more than something you say you are, or is it a life you live? Beware, lest any man spoil you through the tradition of the world, excuse me, through the philosophy and vain deceit and the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Folks, there's some things that matter, and there's a whole lot of things that don't. Most of the time we spend a lot of our time really wrapped up in the things that don't matter, and we dismiss the things that do. My goal, my desire, my prayer for you is that you put down the things that don't matter. Most of the time that's beliefs and opinions and concepts. And pick up the things that do. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The command from the Bible to those who have accepted God as their Savior to live for the cause of Christ. To be a witness. To be a peculiar people. A people who are more in love with the reality of who Jesus is than they are with the reality of who they believe themselves to be. That's what a Christian is. And that's what you can be through the power of God, through the Word of God, and through a relationship with Him. Folks, I've said it before. I love you. I'm thankful that you that you uh, chose to listen. If you have any questions, please reach out and get a hold of me. I will answer every single thing that I can, I promise. I've got a busy week coming up. I'm looking forward to it very much. I'm going to try to probably load a couple of these podcast, kind of get them in the pipe and get them ready to go so that in the event I can't quite catch catch it on a weekly basis, I've got a couple ready. I want to pray and have a, and just ask the Lord to bless the week uh, and, and, and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and giving us a place and giving us a, a method to share the gospel. We leave these things in your hands, Father, and we ask that you would honor everything that you would intend to do with your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to take away our sins. Help us to live worthy of that, or as close to the concept of that as we possibly can. And we give you the glory and honor for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Folks, it's been wonderful. I'll talk to you soon. You have a wonderful day. God bless.